All right, so it's January and we're at the whole enchilada. And so who in the world calls a sermon series the whole enchilada? Yeah, well, uh, what in the world is that? I wonder if you've been asking yourself, what, 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 what are you going to talk about with the whole enchilada? Well, you probably recognize that the whole enchilada is, it's obviously a, a figure of speech that actually means this, the entirety of something, everything. And so we're going to, after this series, go back to looking at Jesus and the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. But as we started 2018, I simply wanted us to make sure in the midst of all that we do, we don't miss what? The whole enchilada that we don't miss what this is really all about. Because it's actually easy to get caught up in some of the secondary stuff and miss what's this really, really about. And so this morning, we're simply going to answer the question, what is the entirety of this? What is everything when it boils down to what's the scripture all about. What is the whole enchilada? Well, if you're guessing in your head, you may be thinking, well, uh, maybe serving is the whole enchilada because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we're to be like Christ and to serve. Or you may think, no, it's actually faith. Faith is, is the whole enchilada because without faith, it's impossible to please God. How could it be anything else other than faith? Or you may go, no, I Humility is how Jesus describes, described himself. He said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And it comes down to it, everything is about being humble. Or you may go, no, it's ultimately about prayer because Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And you can probably tell already, those aren't it. Those are, those are great aspects of what it means to walk with Jesus, but that is not the whole enchilada. In fact, here's what I'm going to show you from the scripture this morning. As great as serving and faith and humility and prayer are, Jesus and the scriptures actually put something greater in relation to even those four things, which helps us go, ah, oh, that is the whole enchilada. So we're not looking at one passage this morning. We're looking at four, actually, and then a fifth. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, where first passage we're going to look at in, is in 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're turning there, Here's what you need to know about Corinthians. The letter to the Corinthians, unlike really any other New Testament book, is a topical letter. He very specifically, kind of checkbox at a time, goes through the letter, exposing, if you will, confronting problems in the church there, and then answering questions. It's not a doctrinal theological book so much it is, is a practical expression of how a church is intended to function. So he exposes problems and answers questions. In chapter 12, he's answering 
one of their questions because he begins saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. That's something that they had written to him about. What about spiritual gifts? He says, I don't want you to be unaware. And the rest of chapter 12, he makes them aware of spiritual gifts. How the Lord distributes as he chooses to each one of his children. How there are many varieties of gifts and many different effects of gifts, but that every gift is important. So important that no one gift can say, I don't need any of the other gifts. So it's a beautiful expression of the breadth of the body in terms of the gifts given, the gifts exercised. But he ends the chapter with this expression. And I show you a still more excellent way. Because it's the last verse in the chapter, we often disconnect it from the next chapter because we often read our Bible chapter at a time. And in doing that in this situation, it's a huge miss. Because he says, and I now show you a still more excellent way, and then says this. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, a spiritual gift, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift, again, the context spiritual gifts, if I gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, what am I? Nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, that's dedication, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. See, Paul actually is continuing his thought on spiritual gifts into chapter 13, and he's saying, hey, all of you have been gifted, but as you use your spiritual gift, don't be that guy. Specifically in verse 1, don't be what guy? If you have it open, verse 1, don't be what guy? The, all, the big talk, all talk, only talk clanger. Don't be that guy. Nobody likes that guy, right? You want to get away from that guy. When that guy comes to a small group, you wish you would have stayed home. When that guy answers the phone, praise the Lord. You want to hang up. It's the big talk, all talk, only talk, clangor. They talk a lot, but actually don't love. We run from that. Don't be that guy. Verse two, don't be which guy? What's the guy in verse two? Well, it's the super smart, know all mysteries, super spiritual faith that can move mountains, but of no actual help guy. You know that guy? They love, they love the faith until faith needs help mowing the yard. Oh no, I'll be studying my Bible then. That guy drives you crazy. Super smart, super spiritual, no actual help guy. Don't be that guy. Third, this is the hard one. You go, give everything you got to feed poor people? Be devoted till the body is burned? That sounds like 
love. I mean, who would give all their stuff to feed poor people if they didn't love? But he actually says, do those things and don't have love. And what do you get? Nothing. No profit from that. Because he says, don't be that phenomenally sacrificial server, but only for self, so up in flames, no reward guy. You know what that means? It means this, because he had already told him in 1 Corinthians 3. As a believer, you're going to stand before the Lord. And because your sin has been taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross because you've trusted in Jesus, you may not be judged for your sin, but your works will be tested. And they'll be tested by fire. And the fire will reveal whether you did that selling everything and feeding to the poor for love of God and love of others or for self. And if you were the person that always showed up to serve and always volunteered to help, and people went, wow, you are so sacrificial. You are so helpful. If you were that guy, but in your heart, you just did it for the applause of men. Paul says, you're going to be that phenomenally sacrificial server, but only for self, so up in flames, no reward to God. It's going to profit you nothing. Don't be that guy. Why? Why? Because there is a more, most excellent way. And what is it? What is it? Love. Love is the most excellent way. <coughs> now, some of you are filling out your blanks. You're going, you skipped a line. I know. I know. Love is the most excellent way in relation to what? What's this, what's this being said in the context of? Yeah, it's love is the most excellent way in relation to spiritually gifted service. That's absolutely key. Because as we'll see, Jesus... The, the scriptures, excuse me, the scriptures define and lift up love in relation to other things that are so important, so valuable to us. Spiritually gifted service important to the body of Christ? Yes, but it's possible that we could engage in spiritually gifted service and never love. But we could never love and not engage in spiritually gifted service. It's the most excellent way. If you open there, go down to the last verse now in chapter 13. In chapter 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says in another way, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So, love is the most excellent way in relation to what? Spiritually gifted service. And now here he says, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. And did you notice in relation to? Yeah. See, that's powerful to me. That, that's like stop you in your tracks. When it comes to even faith and hope, Love is the greatest. It's the most excellent way in relation to spiritual gifts, most 
the greatest in relation to faith and hope. Okay. Go a few books later to Colossians now. Colossians chapter 3. Find verse 12. And he starts in verse 12 with this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Just pause right there. Do you you not love that last song that we did, uh, Glorious Day, and we ran out of that group? Do you not love that song? Man, I love, love that song. We got introduced to that in 2017 at Power Up Clubs. And we hadn't done it for a while, and I'm, we went to South Carolina last week uh, to be with a couple of my kids and grandkids, and we're driving back I-95, and this, that song, Glorious Day, comes on. And, and it was just different listening to it on the radio as opposed to sitting in front singing it. But listening to it, I was like, man, this is so good. And the longer the song went, the more I got into it. And at some point, I was like, whoa, I'm going like 90 miles an hour. Does that ever happen to you with music? I'm, going to, I'm like, I'm going to drive right back into the grave that he <laughs> ran out of. So I slowed down and I made a note. Tell Matt, when we start 2018, we've got to start with the incredible truth that, that what was once my tomb until I met Jesus and made me new, ran me out of that grave, that I am forgiven and I'm free. I'm a new person in Christ. So, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, made new, he says, because of that, put on. Now watch this. Think, like putting on, like you got up this morning and put something on. If this year, 2018, every single one of us, every morning, we got up and put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Would that transform your home? If you literally put that on? Uh, yeah, instead of going, oh, no, I'm tired of that patient shirt. I don't want none of that patient shirt. I've had, I've had it up to here. Put it on. That would be awesome. But he doesn't stop there. Bearing with one another. Because that's a lot of life, isn't it? When, when it gets down to it, there's just a lot of bearing with one another. If you don't think so, go look in the mirror. And you'll see in the mirror a lot of bearing with needed. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Just pause and think. If really in 2018, we said we're going to put on compassion and kindness and humility patience and gentleness, and we're going to bear with one another, and we're going to forgive one another, and we're going to live in that way every day, that'd be like a home run, right? Yeah, you'd think, except Paul goes, that'd be a, that'd be a good triple. Because you know what the next verse says? Beyond all these things that he just listed that would be like, we think, home run stuff. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of 
unity. So we see it again. It's the most excellent way in relation to spiritual giftedness. It's greater than faith and hope. And it's the perfect, no, no, no. It's the beyond all perfect bond of unity. The beyond all. And we know he defined what he meant by beyond all. In relation to that, C-K-H-G-B-U-B-K-F. Well, what is that? Compassion, kindness, humility. Hope was the last passage. That was close. Good try. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with, and forgiving. In relation to all that stuff, we go, that'd be phenomenal. Then he goes, no, beyond all that, love. What is the whole enchilada? The entirety of something, everything. Love is the whole enchilada. One more passage. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and find verse 7. The end of all things is near. True or false? (laughs) That's been true for a long time, by the way. So sometimes we forget that it's still true. The end of all things is near. Therefore, if we really thought, yes, true, what would we want? What would we need? Sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment, sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. Ever go to a funeral and listen to what they said about somebody and then said to yourself, I wonder what they'll say to me, say about me. Sure, it's almost hard to go to a funeral and not hear people talk about somebody and think, what will they say about me? Would you be honored if at your, at your funeral people would say, you know, when life was hard and blurry and I wasn't sure I could, I could always go to them because they had such wisdom. They had the ability just to see through all the clutter and all the confusion. They're, they just had this knack, this, this ability to, to make sound, clear thinking, judgment. Be honored by that. And... and And they had a a soberness of spirit. Not that they were boring, not that they were no fun. It was just they had the ability in the midst of all the extras in life to know here's what really mattered and to stay focused on what really mattered. Never over the top, never under the pile, just sober in spirit. And really, if I ever needed somebody to pray about something, they're the first person I'd text because I know they would... They'd pray. That'd be an honoring thing, wouldn't it? It would. Which is why it's so compelling to me that verse 8 says, then, above all. (laughs) All what? Sound judgment, sober in spirit, and even Prayer. prayer above all keep 
fervent in your love for one another. So actually, the greatest thing, the most excellent thing, the beyond all and above all thing that could be said about any of us at our funeral would be they love people. They were the whole enchilada. You probably don't want that said. Because love covers a multitude of sins, and there's a lot of that going around. So there's plenty of opportunity. So love is the most excellent way in relation to spiritual gifts. Love is greatest in relation to faith and hope. Love is beyond all. And love is the above all fervent cover. The above all fervent cover. Because love covers a multitude of sins in relation to the times. Because the end is what? Near. The end is near. So the love triangle, as I want us to remember it, is simply this. Love's at the point of the triangle. But I call it the love triangle because it goes like this. Love is the greatest, above all, beyond all, most excellent way. Not my conclusion. The statements of Scripture in relation to the things that we often hold dearest and most important to us. Faith and hope and prayer and compassion and service. That love is the what? What? The greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. Say it with me. Love is the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. Love is the greatest above all, most excellent way. Sometimes you're just too short. No, you aren't. I am. Love is the what? Greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. Lord, if we could take that, just not in words, but in heart to our grave. That when it comes down to it, at home, at work, in my marriage, with my family, in my neighborhood, and here at church, love is the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. So you might imagine... Oh, it is the whole enchilada. You just got to say that. Come on. It's the whole enchilada. So in the midst of this, you can imagine I could apply love as it relates again in our marriage or at home with our kids or with our neighbors. But this morning, very specifically... I want to answer the question in very practical terms. What does it mean for love to be the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way when we gather here together? Because would it be fair to say that the most loving place ought to be 
when the church is gathered together, the people of God. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now remember, what did I tell you about 1 Corinthians? It's a letter where he is correcting, exposing problems, and answering questions. So in 1 Corinthians 11, he, does, he introduces one of those, either a problem or a question. Here's what it says in verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. So just pause right there. Is he answering a question or exposing a problem? Yeah, I think he's exposing a problem here. And when he says... But in giving this instruction, he's not saying the instruction I've already given. He's saying about what I'm about to write, I do not praise you. And here's what he says. Because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. What a shot. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul visiting Christian Family Chapel, walking up these steps and standing here and saying... You know what, Christian Family Chapel? When you get together, it's for the worse. You'd be better off if you'd all stayed home. Wow, what a shot. Is that not a shot? You'd be better if you stayed home because your gathering is not for the better. It's for the worse. You gotta go what in the world is happening in Corinth when they gather that makes him go, you people are not, it's ugly when you get together. What's happening? Well, he gets to the issue very directly in verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first And one is hungry and another is drunk. Why is the person hungry? Because they didn't have anything. And why is the person drunk? Because they had more than what they needed and what they do with it. They consumed it all themselves. He's going, when you gather, it's it's not the Lord's Supper. It's not what Jesus did with his disciples. When you gather, it, that's not what it looks like. And, and in Acts, it has this incredible statement as the church is first coming together. It says, and they were meeting house to house, taking their meals together in gladness with sincerity of heart. That's not Corinth. There's not gladness. There's need and drunkenness all in the same room when they got together. And he goes, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? If you're going to do that junk, why don't you just stay home? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? People are are shamed when they come to your gatherings. Wow, that's pretty serious stuff. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this I will not praise you. When we take the Lord's Supper, what are we, what are we remembering? You know this. We're remembering at core 
the love of God, the greatest expression of the love of God ever demonstrated to the planet, the sending of his son and the obedience of Jesus to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. The Lord's Supper is is a time of remembering love at its greatest. And what's he saying? When you gather, love isn't evident at all. It's absent. And it's absent in the way that you fail to look out for one another. It's absent in the way that you consider one another. And it's absent in your willingness to share with one another. And I can't praise you for how you love when you're gathered because it's not loving. So he says, let's remember what the Lord's Supper is really about. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, the taking of the bread and breaking the bread and saying, this is my body, my body being broken for you. I, I am, we're doing this a reflection of I love you. I thought of you. I was broken for you. Same way, took the cup. This cup is the new covenant. My blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembering how I laid down my life for you. See, it's it's remembering of the greatest expression of love ever demonstrated on the planet. And I can't praise you, Corinth, because it's not loving. When you all gather, you'd been better off staying at home. Then he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. It's the lifting up of love in the act, but the Practical is not loving. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Can I tell you that for all of my life until I actually had to teach this passage for myself and therefore actually really studied it, I'd been told my entire life up to that point that this was a warning to unbelievers if they're in a setting where the Lord's Supper is being offered, that they better let the bread and the cup go by because they'll be, be bringing the guilt of the body and the blood of the Lord upon themselves. And I want to tell you, I don't think that's what it's talking about at all. Who's Paul writing? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the believers who are gathering He is confronting how they relate when they gather for worship. He's speaking to believers in their remembering and their gathering. And it'll continue to be revealed that. His his warning is not against unbelievers. His warning is as a believer. If you take 
in remembrance of Christ, the greatest expression of love ever demonstrated on the planet. And you do it in a context when you are living unloving to one another in the way that you gather. You're here. You're in this verse. But a man must examine himself. What's the examination? The examination is, am I loving the people I am meeting with? I am, am I loving the people that I am worshiping with? And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and the cup. So the question every single one of us ought to be asking before we take the Lord's Supper is, do I love the people I am gathered with in worship? For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. If you don't judge, if, in other words, if you don't examine yourself, then you, you are eating and drinking judgment to himself. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Folks, who does the scripture say very clearly the Lord disciplines? His children. The world is under the condemnation of God. It's the children of God that receive the discipline of the Lord. I'm telling you, this passage is speaking to the children of God who are gathering, remembering the greatest expression of love and not loving. And he's going, I can't praise you for your meetings. They're ugly. You need to examine yourself. And as you examine yourself and you see, I've been unloving. Repent. Confess it to the Lord. So then, my brethren, when you come come together to eat, wait for one another. See, I love this. Sometimes, sometimes we think love. And we think this high and lofty thoughts. So, wow, how do you define love? How did Paul define love for the Corinthians when they gathered together? W-A-I-T. Wait. It's just really practical. For their gathering... Love was expressed in waiting. And not only that, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you're not come together for judgment. In other words, if you can't wait for one another, eat a protein bar before you come. Is that not what it says? Just eat something before. Make a little plan so that you can be loving when you gather. I love this, folks. This is a major problem in how Corinth was expressing love to one another, and his solution is not pie-in-the-sky theoretical stuff. It's like, wait and and get yourself a snack before you come. And so it forced me to ask myself, huh, what about our gatherings? And what would be 
demonstrating love at CFC worship service gatherings. Not in pie in the sky stuff, but just in the good old practical vein that Paul said to Corinth, wait and eat something before you come. What, what would it be? What would love look like when we gather? And it's going to be practical. Let me say it to you more directly. 90% of you are about to go, hey, hey, you stepping on my toes. Because first one, here would be love, very practically expressed at CFC gatherings. Uh, 90% of you, because only 10% of you are here on time. Do you know how long that's been true? Well, not forever, because we started in 73. <clears throat> I came, I started attending the chapel in 87. It's been true at least that long. And we've just kind of lived with it, lived with it, lived with it, lived with it. And we say, well, it's just kind of CFC time. And I simply want to call it what it is. It's practically unloving. How is arriving on time loving? Well, just very simple. Arriving on time or even before time means that you can actually talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever we have a family get together, we don't say, hey, we're meeting at five and then we start eating at five. The program doesn't start at five. We say, we're getting together at five and we often eat at Six, six fifteen. Why? Because there's time for fellowship. That doesn't happen here because the service has already started. So we don't get to fellowship with one another. Oh, I can do that afterwards. How many of you have said to me, and you experience it? I'm so distracted in our worship time by all the people coming in. And we try and keep the doors closed in the back again because all the, the noise in the back that's hard for the people in the, the back. Just practical stuff. So you're just like, oh man, can we not talk of something a little more theoretical right now? And you may go, no, Paul said, wait. Just wait for all of us latecomers. <laughs> that actually doesn't work when we have a time worship service. So very seriously, this is not complicated. We've thought, how can we solve this? How can we solve this? How can we solve this? We can't solve this. You can only set your alarm or leave the house 15 minutes earlier than you have for the last 30 years or forever long you've been coming here. That's how it gets solved. You leave your house 15 minutes earlier because on time, for many of us means, well, I drove on campus at time, then I had to drop off two kids, and then I had to talk to my four favorite people in the courtyard, and then I got in here. Why do we do so few music around here? Well, actually, you missed half of it. Seriously. I'm not, this is not a pet peeve. This is loving. This is loving 
to one another in our worship. It's loving to our worship man that gives phenomenal amount of hours who feel like, well, we have to do our two warm-up songs until most of the people get here. That shouldn't be. Practical love demonstrated in our gatherings. Paul said to Corinth, hey, it's wait and get a snack before you come. Practical at CFC, leave home 15 minutes earlier. Could you do that next week? You could. I know you could. That's a stupid question. I know you could. Now, is it a mortal sin if you're ever late to church? Jesus said, hey, there's an ox in the ditch every once in a while. (laughs) If your ox is in the ditch, understand. If your ox is in the ditch every week for 22 years, you need a new plan. And choose a seat for community instead of convenience. You know what would be, be it love demonstrated at CFC is when you walk through those doors, you specifically thought, I'm going to sit with someone. Either because I don't know them or because you do know them. See, those are your two choices which includes everybody. But it's choosing for community, not for convenience. And we do a lot of things in life out of convenience. We could do differently here. And love expressed by simply, as simple as look look for somebody to sit with. It'd be a different place if we were all here 15 minutes earlier next week And we chose a seat according to community, catching up with somebody or introducing, meeting somebody, which is part of looking out for strangers. We already said the gathering of the body of Christ ought to be the most loving place on the planet. Yeah? And so we 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 should engage with eyes looking out for strangers. Now, notice I did not say looking out for visitors. Do you know why I didn't say that? Because you've told me, I don't know who the visitors are. There's so many people here. I agree. You don't know. I I made the mistake one time, years years and years. I got the score for it. Hey, I'm Doug, new to the chapel? I've been here 16 years. Right, happened right by that pole. <laughs> it's like, eh. <laughs> so I've learned. Hey, I'm Doug. How long you been around? <laughs> Lots safer question. You can look down your row right now and go, no, 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 stranger, stranger, stranger. So you don't need to know whether they know it. You just need to know whether you know them or not. Either you know them or they're a stranger. Look out for strangers. They may be new. And the last thing that should ever happen at the gathering of the body of Christ is people would go, nobody noticed. Nobody looked out for me. It's, that's so practical expression of love. So practical. Participate in the service. You know, when, when more people sing, you know what happens? More people sing. 
Because if you're like me, you like volume, right? Give me a little more volume so people can't hear me. The best part is sitting on the front row. And you know why our worship team wears earplugs? Because I sit in the front row. Well, we can't hear that. No. no. But this morning, I was, I was, it was like, I run out of that grave with my cold. I was like, man, this is just ugly. But when we participate, we encourage others. This is, you don't have to be like great singer to participate. It makes a difference. When we bring our Bible, we open our Bible. It makes a difference. Hey, when something's funny and you laugh, you got to laugh. Not like my wife laughs. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. You got to be a laugher. Seriously. When, when we did that, uh, the, this series so powerful could slam a revolving door. That's really funny. A lot more funny than you all thought. Go on. Ha, 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 ha. Come on. That's funny. Slam a revolving door. Is that like over your head? No. But it was, I'm serious. It's, in, it's simply participating. When we pray, let's pray. When we sing, let's sing. When we open the Bible, let's open our Bibles. And in this, stop to receive prayer. That's actually an expression of love. Not, not just the love that happens in that moment, because actually one of the greatest expressions of love is to be able to pray for one another. But when you stop for prayer, you are actually loving the rest of the body by acknowledging my life's not perfect. Because sometimes we feel like, uh, I could use, well, it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean, anybody's life perfect? No. So the rest of us need prayer. And there's nothing, maybe, it's just funny that I know, I know because I, I know that I come always with all sorts of things in any given Sunday. And what a shame that you show up with a heavy heart about something or something major going on in your life and you never allow the body of Christ to bear it with you by men and women who are saying every morning after every service, hey, we're available for prayer. It doesn't have to be earth-ending stuff. But sometimes we feel that way. And so when we stop to receive prayer, it actually communicates, oh, there's real people here. Matt and Christy are sitting here in front row. Matt, one of the first, first times you taught here when you were a youth pastor, we didn't used to have prayer available after every service, but you had an opportunity for prayer after your message. And I came up, and Matt prayed for me. And afterwards, people were like, uh, is everything okay? You went up, I, saw, I saw you went up for prayer. It was like I had this big loser on my forehead or something like that because I needed prayer. Folks, all the, really, what, what is with our reluctance to just turn to one another to stop and say, I got this major decision. We got this happening in our family. We got this going on in our life. Would you just, would you pray for me? Would you pray? What a shame when we come to church with that on our heart 
And we gather and we do our singing. We open our Bibles, we pray, we talk together, and then we just walk out. There's not that love that happens. So when we, when we admit, hey, I have need, it's just a good message to everybody else. It's safe to admit need here because we all have it. Nothing wrong with people who need prayer because all of us need prayer. As you look at these, because we're about to take the Lord's Supper, remember the greatest love ever demonstrated where Jesus said, I looked out for you. I sacrificed for you. I laid my life down for you. Would you examine yourself in terms of love in our gatherings? And where you haven't loved, and it may be stuff that I didn't put up here, where you haven't loved, would you simply acknowledge before the Lord, Lord, I haven't loved the way you've loved me. I haven't seen it, never thought about it, or maybe I've just gotten used to it. Confess it to the Lord as the elements are passed. Take this time to examine your love in our gatherings. That it might be a beautiful gathering of humble, repentant, confessing people remembering the love of God and seeking to live it out. As they're past, just take and hold the elements, examine your own heart, and then I'll lead us in taking it together.
if you would simply repeat after me these elements in your head. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. See, the, the, the greatest expression of a life of faith is a life of, of love. It's the greatest expression of a life of faith is a life of love, a life of love for God and love for one another. And folks... We need to take it home. We need to take it to work. We need to take it to the world. But it ought to start among us. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. By your love for one another. And so it ought to start in how we gather. So, Father, I thank you for your great love for us. I pray now that we would learn in some very practical ways to die to self, to think of others, to love well, that our gatherings wouldn't be ugly or absent of you, but be beautiful demonstrations of the love of God being revealed to one another. Thank you for sending your son on our behalf. We take in remembrance of him now. Let's stand together, if we would, and as an expression of this being our deep desire, let's sing this brief chorus. Let us be known by our love in every word and every deed. Honor the Son. Let our light shine in every eye. Let us be. As you go this morning, again, we do 
invite you, if you would like someone to pray, we have men and women available to pray uh, straight out the back of north or here in south, out by left, you're right around the corner. That would be our great privilege to pray with you. God bless.